0: Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2 and Joel chapter 2. Acts 2 and Joel 2. It was fun being able to continue through our study in Acts on Easter Sunday being able to preach the resurrection from Acts 2. We're going to back up a little bit, deal with some of the preliminary information of this chapter that uh, I had intended to do the Sunday that I was sick. So let's dive in, and let's have a word of prayer before we start. Lord, help us as we study your word. Um, this, this passage has caused a lot of confusion, and so, Father, I pray that uh, we can have some clarity from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the book of Acts is a dangerous book. When uh, it is misinterpreted, so many of the heresies that exist in Christianity find their root in misunderstanding or misinterpreting several books. The book of Matthew, the book of Acts, and the book of Hebrews. So those books are the ones that can cause so much trouble. And uh, we're going to clear some of the initial trouble up today, Lord willing. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 12. So remember what's happened? The Holy Spirit has been poured out, and the the apostles and possibly others of from that church, they're speaking in other languages. People are understanding other languages, and they're talking about the wonderful things of God. Now, it's not some kind of pagan ecstatic speech. It's not unintelligible speech. You know, shamala mahama, shalala, la ba la ba It's none of that garbage. It is, it's it's words in a language that they don't know. That's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. And, of course, that was a, there was a lot of confusion going on. And verse 12, this is the response of the people. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Remember, the Bible says the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jews require a sign. When Jesus Christ cleansed the temple in John chapter 2, and he, he turned over the tables and made a whip and, drew, and, and drove the money changers out, they asked him, What sign are you trying to show us? Isn't that a weird question? But the Jews require a sign. When they came, some came to Jesus and said, Lord, show us a sign. Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of Jonas. For as the son of man, so as Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign that he gave them was his death and resurrection. What a great sign that is. And that is a sign for all men. You think about the Christmas story, and this shall be a sign to to you. That was a sign to them. There's a sign to all men, and it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a blessing that is. And we're going to see that the Holy Spirit was poured out not just on a few, but on the whole world at Pentecost. It's such a significant event. So, verse 12, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? So, whenever God does a work, there are people who are genuine inquirers. All right, now the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, there's none that seeketh after God. If Jesus had not poured out the Holy Spirit on the world, no one would ever seek for God. The only way that any of us ever come to God is because the Holy Spirit is drawing us to him. All right, now we're not going to take the time to flesh that out. Maybe we will in a future sermon. But understand, the only way any of us can ever be saved is... The only reason that any of us know anything about God is because of his amazing grace that he's bestowed on us knowledge of himself by the Holy Spirit of God. So there are always honest inquirers when God is doing something. But then there are others, verse 13. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. They're drunk. What you're looking at, these are a bunch of drunks. And so, Peter answers that. But, Peter, standing up with the eleven, now remember, we've talked about why it's the eleven again. It would have just been ten, but they've replaced Judas with Matthias. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, by the way, he's about to start preaching a sermon. And when he preached that sermon, he lifted up his voice. We need to get back to preaching. It's not the the tone of voice from the preacher demonstrates the importance of the message. Now, Laura and I laugh. We we have a missionary friend, and he's talking about his field and you know how good God is being. And then it came down to preach. So we're on the field and God's blessing, and we're starting churches. Open your Bibles. That was just kind of weird. You know what I mean? Your preacher voice. That's not what this is talking about. This is saying, we have a message, and this message must be heard. And again, the difference between preaching and teaching, teaching is communicating information. Preaching is boldly proclaiming the word of God and demanding a response. Amen? And so that's what Peter does. He stands up and he lifts up his voice, and he said unto them, Ye men of Judea, by the way, I do want you to have your Bibles open to Joel chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a Bible for you under the chair in front of you. And if you see somebody around you who doesn't have a Bible, then be sure they get one. That's page 434 is Joel chapter 2. You're going to have to have Joel to be able to do this. If you are just using your phone today, it's going to be hard to go back and forth between Joel and Acts. So grab one of those Bibles and use it. Or if if there are two of you... And you both have phones. One of you get Acts 2, one of you get Joel 2, and share your phones, okay? and uh, But don't phone a friend. So let's keep going. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem. So are you in Joel chapter 2? Go to Joel 3. This is fun. Look at Joel chapter 3 and verse 1. For behold, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Judea and Jerusalem. Judah and Jerusalem. The same audience. You see that? Peter and Joel. The same audience. And so the Holy Spirit has Joel, or has Peter referenced Joel in his sermon. So let's go back to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Verse 14 again, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. So this is fun. All right. Well, here, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. What does that third hour of the day mean? That would be nine o'clock in the morning for us. The third hour of the day for the Jews on the way that they would count time. That'd be nine o'clock in the morning for us. What does that have to do with it? Well, on a Sabbath day, on a special day, like the day of Pentecost, there would be no eating or drinking at all until nine o'clock in the morning when the sacrifice was done. And they wouldn't need anything until after the sacrifice was made. So that's the point that he's making. Look, these are Jews. They're They're Jews speaking to Jews. That's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. All right. So, verse 16 for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the 3rd hour of the day. Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay? So here's my message today. And of verse 12, what meaneth this? Meaneth this. Verse 16, this is that. What meaneth this? This is that. What meaneth this? This is that. That's the message. What meaneth this? What this this confusion, all of this that's going on, the joy that's coming from your people, the joy that's coming from those hearing the wonderful works of God from Galileans, how understand we these in our own tongue? What meaneth this? What is going on? So Peter tells them what this is. Verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you. What meaneth this? Be this known unto you. Verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Look at verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, talking about Christ after his ascension, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Holy Ghost the promise of the... uh, 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 Let me slow down. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. this, This confusing event... This joyful event, this supernatural event, what does it mean? It means that the promise of the Father has come and nothing will ever be the same. That's what this means. That's what this is. Now, what Peter is doing is he's speaking to religious people. We know they're they're religious people because these are Jews from all over the known world Every nation where there were Jews, they have come to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. So these are religious people, and the Apostle Peter speaks to religious people from Bible that they would know. So when we had uh, our missionary, Jimmy Strickland, he's in heaven now. This would be uh, Pam Thornton's father. He started the work there in Argentina. So that's a Roman Catholic area. We live in a Roman Catholic area. And we asked Brother Strickland one time in our, you know, how we interview our missionaries. We're interviewing Brother Strickland. And we asked him, what's the best way to give the gospel to Roman Catholics? Because Roman Catholics are religious. They love the Lord. They believe the Bible. They believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? Well, that's where we start then. Start with what they know. Start with what they believe and then teach them grace. Isn't that good? So what is the Apostle Peter doing? He's starting with what they know, the prophet Joel. They are so familiar with the Old Testament because in the synagogue, portions of the Old Testament would be read yearly. So they'd be very familiar with this account from the prophet Joel. I'll tell you something fun. I love these little nuggets. Do you know in the Old Testament the prophet Joel is never identified? The way that we know Joel prophesied that in the book of Joel is because Peter told us. Isn't that interesting? The name of the prophet Joel isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. It's mentioned here. This is how we know who it was. So, He begins, he speaks to religious people from the Bible. He points them to the scriptures. Now, a couple of things right here. Is everybody awake right now? Because this, what I'm about to tell you, is really fun. Apparently, Peter believed that what he was preaching was actually what Joel had said. Was actually what Joel had written. You see, Peter believed That God had kept his promise to preserve his word, and he had preserved Joel. The Bible gives us several divisions of the Old Testament the the Psalms and the prophets, or Moses, the Psalms and the prophets. Jesus, in Luke chapter 24, he expounded unto them from Moses the law, I'm sorry, from Moses, uh, the Psalms and the prophets all things concerning him. And I've often said, wouldn't that be a great sermon to hear Jesus pointing out himself from those Old Testament passages? What an amazing thing that would be. But Peter, number one, Peter believed he had the Bible and preached the Bible to them. That's number one. Number two, his hearers knew the Bible. So when we're dealing with religious people, don't try to argue with people from your reason Open the Bible and say what God has said because that's where the power is. Do you remember in Acts chapter 17 when the Apostle Paul is starting the church at Thessalonica and he went into the synagogue and as his manner was, he reasoned with them out of the scriptures um, six or seven Sabbath days, whatever it was. See, that's how long he was there. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and died And risen from the dead the third day. That's that's what he preached. But he preached that from the scriptures. What scriptures? It had to be the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written yet. So when we are talking to religious people, use the Bible. That is so much more authoritative than you are And that's where Peter gathered his authority, or that's where Peter, that's, that's from where Peter drew his authority when he was speaking to these religious men. He pointed to the prophet Joel. Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Then notice what he does. They're looking at the event, and he points them to the throne of God, and to the word of God. Go to Joel chapter 2, and I want you to see something. Verse 1. Joel 2 and verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. Now, Zion is mentioned, I think, five times in Joel 2. It's all pointing to the place where Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. All right? Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even unto the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. What's he talking about here? Well, in chapter 1, look at Joel chapter 1 and look at what it says in verse 3. Tell ye your children of it, And let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. And that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake ye drunkards and weep. Howl all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. And it talks about how not only is there going to be this destruction of the land, but there's also going to be an invasion. And the invasion is going to follow a natural disaster. What was a natural disaster? Well, it started with a canker worm, or a palmer worm, and then a canker worm, or the locust, and then a canker worm, and Then the caterpillar, whatever the order is. All of these creatures. Now listen. This was an event that took place. This happened. And what does Joel do? Joel points them to that devastation. And he said, this is bad, but something worse is coming. Repent. This is bad. Something worse is coming. Repent. And what we as believers do... You know, after 9-11, I'll never forget preaching after 9-11. Laura and I were in Chicago when that happened. And it was so strange the way that Chicago emptied out because they thought that maybe the Hancock Tower or the Sears Tower would be the next to hit. And it was like the rapture took place or something. It was desolate in Chicago. Came home, preached that Sunday, and as a preacher of the Word of God, what did I do? We acknowledged the attack and the devastation of 3,000 Americans being killed on that one day. And then we point people to God. We point people to God. This is what we are to do. When any event happens, acknowledge the event and point people to the throne of God. Acknowledge the event and point people to the scriptures. Lift their thinking above where they are. Um, and this is what... What Joel does, he lifts their eyes and their minds past their present circumstance to the scriptures and the future. That's what Peter does in Acts chapter 2. Joel took the locust attack and lifted their minds to the future judgment of Judah and Jerusalem. Joel chapter 3 and verse 1 again. Joel chapter 3 and verse 1. The locust attack happens. He tells them an invasion is going to happen and then something is going to happen in the last days. For behold, in those days, now we as believers, when we see in those days, what are we going to look for? I heard second coming, I heard rapture, and I heard tribulation. Those days is the tribulation. That day is the return of Christ. Those days is the tribulation because Jesus in Matthew 24 said, after the tribulation of those days. When you see those days, look for the tribulation. So when is this going to happen? The tribulation. For behold, in those days and in that time... When I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. God does not want his land divided. It's called the Holy Land. We think of it as a land of Israel. It's God's land because it is the Holy Land. God says, don't divide it, don't part it. At the end of the tribulation period, what happens? All of these nations are gathering around to attack Jerusalem. And that's where Jesus Christ comes. And in Zechariah chapter 14, it says, then will the Lord fight with them as he did, or fight for them as he did in the day of battle. Can you imagine when the Lord himself comes and fights? That's the Valley of Jehoshaphat. That's the Battle of Armageddon. This is what's being prophesied here. When is it? It's in the last days. It's in those days. So what Joel is doing, he's saying, look at our present calamity. There's another calamity that's coming. Israel is going to be invaded. But there's a yet future problem. And that's when Jesus Christ returns. And finally, the people call on the name of the Lord. So now what is happening is at the day of Pentecost, Peter is saying this, what what meaneth this? This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Interesting analogy. Why does he take them to Joel? Look at... Um, I want to read you something G. Campbell Morgan wrote about this text. This particular reference to the work of the Spirit... Okay, so if you look at verse 33, Acts chapter 2 and verse 33... Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. So here's G. Campbell Morgan. This particular reference to the work of the Spirit, which is so peculiarly clear, concise, definite, and positive. All right. Forgive me. Let's not go to G. Campbell yet. Hold your place in Acts. Go back to Joel chapter 2. See, I've got the benefit. I brought two Bibles. I got Joel here and I got Acts here. So y'all start bringing two Bibles with you to church, okay? Sometimes you need 10, wouldn't you? All right. Joel 2, look at verse 28. This is why Peter references this chapter. And it shall come to pass afterward. Now, I want you to notice if you mark your Bible, go ahead and mark afterward. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Did you notice something about those three words right there? What are they? Into everyone, what are they? In those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did I read something wrong? What does your Bible say? Huh. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now, this is why Peter preaches this text. So what does he do? There's an unusual circumstance, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, They're speaking in other languages. People can understand them. There's all this joy. The power of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the whole world. And Peter says, yes, what is that? And he points them back to the word of God, but he also points them to a future judgment that is not yet. You say, how does that work? All right, if you're able, you know what? I won't even have you turn there. I'll turn there myself. In Luke chapter 6, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, this is Jesus coming back to his own land and his own people. Verse 16, he goes into the synagogue. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written... The Spirit, here's what he reads from the book of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister. So what did Jesus do? He read a portion of what the Messiah is going to do when he comes and then he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Right? And so they wanted to kill him because they knew that was about the Messiah, and he was claiming to be the Messiah. But notice what he said, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and that's where he stopped. Let me read to you Isaiah 61.1, which is what Jesus Christ is reading there. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There's a comma there. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion and to give unto them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old form that build the old wastes, They shall raise the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities and desolations of many generations. What's going on? The day of the vengeance of our God has happened. And Jesus Christ has destroyed the world. But Jesus, when he is reading that in Luke chapter 4, he says, this day is this fulfilled. Hallelujah. He didn't keep reading because if he had fulfilled the day of the vengeance of our God, the world would have been destroyed at that moment. And none of us would have been born and come to know Christ as Savior. You see, that is partial. That's that law or principle of partial fulfillment. Let's go to Acts 2. Keep Joel 2, Acts 2. Let's look at Peter's message and the way he preaches Joel. But this, verse 16, is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, in Joel 2, what we just read in Joel 2... Where in verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Verse 29, and also upon the servants and upon the maids. Verse 30, I will show wonders in the heavens. Here's what G. Campbell Morgan said about that passage. This particular reference to the work of the spirit, which is so peculiarly clear, concise, definite, and positive. Ezekiel said much concerning the work of the spirit of God under different figures. Isaiah made clear reference to the coming of the Spirit. Listen to this, though. But in all the ancient writings, there is no passage quite as precise, as definite, as positive, as this paragraph, which Peter selected for quotation upon the day of Pentecost. What what Joel does, here's what's fun. Joel is the first of the prophets. Joel wrote before any of the other prophets. And all of this that he writes, he gives us the exact outline of the return of the Lord, of what's coming, and the way God is going to deal with Israel. The exact outline of all the future events that are fleshed out in the rest of the Bible, that's given in those three chapters of the book of Joel. It's amazing what God has done. And Peter, I'm sure by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chooses Joel to identify what's happening in Acts chapter 2, in Jerusalem, on that day. Now, this is interesting. Go to verse 16, Acts chapter 2 and verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He does not use the word fulfilled. So our charismatic friends, those who believe that that this, when the Holy Spirit came, now all of the signs and wonders that are identified there, that that's what's for today. So they'll pray for fire to come down. Lord, send the fire. Lord, send the old-time power, that Pentecostal power. But what they're looking for is fire from God. Why? Because they don't understand how God divides his word. And that's where some of the confusion comes from in this text. They believe, the, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals believe that Joel 2 is the fulfill. I'm sorry, Acts 2 is the fulfillment of Joel 2. It's not... It's what's being referenced in Joel 2. It says this is that. It never says that this is the fulfillment of that. And we'll see that in the text, what's going to happen. All right? So let's keep going. Um, He had spoken of a fulfillment then of Joel's prophecy. Had he spoken of a fulfillment then of Joel's prophecy, he would have uttered something which was not true. For the great prophecy of Joel was not fulfilled on that day, nor has this prophecy been fulfilled since Pentecost, nor will it be fulfilled during this present age. Did y'all hear that? It can't be fulfilled. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, We believers, we are delivered from the wrath to come. So this cannot be fulfilled while we, who are born again, are on the earth. This is what I'm reading. It's from Arno Gabeline. He said this, This great prophecy, which Peter quotes in part, will be accomplished at the end of the Jewish age. That end has not yet come and which cannot come as long as the church is on the earth. Joel's prophecy will be fulfilled in connection with the coming of the Lord. Before that day comes, there will be visible signs of which the prophet speaks. And all this is still in the future before it can be fulfilled. The events spoken of by Joel as preceding this prophecy must be accomplished. And besides this, the church must be removed from the earth in the way as revealed in the word. And what does the word say? The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and, and, and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, to be together in the clouds, and so shall we be with the Lord. That's how it's going to happen. Then, after seven years, the Lord returns to the earth. So, let's look at Acts chapter 2. Let's read this passage, and let's get our understanding. Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. All right? So I want you to notice something. Verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Go back to Joel 2. And verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward. Have you ever wondered why Jesus will sometimes make reference to an Old Testament passage and change it a little bit. Or the apostles will be preaching something from the Old Testament and change the words enough to make it fit the message of what's going on then. Have you all noticed that? Here's an issue that that can take place today. People will say, well, if the apostles can make the Bible say what they want to, Why can't we? Well, number one, we're not apostles. Number two, the Holy Spirit was doing that, taking Old Testament passages and applying them to New Testament situations. Why? Because we're always supposed to preach the Word, but the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Now we have the New Testament. When I was in Bible college, one of the colleges I went to was not doctrinally sound. And One of my teachers, I noticed when he would preach, he never preached scripture. He would say a verse, and then he would tell a bunch of stories. So that hit me one day, and I walked up to him, and I said, i got to ask you something. He said, yeah. I said, why don't you preach the Bible? Because I had noticed my dad always preached the Bible. These guys never preached the Bible. And so I asked him, why don't you preach the Bible? He said, what? I said, why don't you preach the Bible? I didn't realize what an offensive question that was. It just hit me that he didn't preach the Bible. And he said, "What are you talking about?" I said, Well, you tell stories. You don't preach the Bible. I call it skyscraper sermons, right? One story on top of another. never back to the Bible. I'd taken Jacob to a fellowship meeting with me one time. He was probably fourteen. I said, "What do you think of the preaching?" And he said, "They just seem to tell a lot of stories. And so I asked my teacher. I said, Why don't you preach the Bible?" He said, what are you talking about? I said, you just tell stories. He said, well, Jesus told stories. And I said, then why don't you preach the stories that Jesus told? You see, I realized, I didn't realize until later, the reason he didn't, he has a different approach to ministry than the biblical approach. The Bible says, preach the word. Be instant, that's ready. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, show them what's wrong. Rebuke, show them what's right. With all long-suffering and doctrine. What is doctrine? God's truth in God's words. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who gave those interpretations of the text. He gave them those. We don't have the authority to do that. We're not allowed to change anything from the Bible. But here's what we learn. When God takes a message to one group of people in one time period. And then he takes that exact same message and changes it for another group of people and another time period, we learn some really important things. So here's what's happening. We looked at Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days. In Joel 2 and verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward... There's a difference afterward in the last days. In the last days in the New Testament can mean the time after Christ's birth. So Hebrews chapter 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom he made the worlds and by whom all things consist who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, after that he had tasted death, purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. These last days. So there, the last days is a reference to the time of Christ and after. All right? So the last days in the New Testament can mean from the time of Christ on. That's not the way the last days is used in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, almost every time you see the last days... It's referring to when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom. So the Apostle Peter, preaching to Jews on the day of Pentecost, pointing them to a Jewish prophet, actually changes the words of the prophet to give them the time frame of when these things are going to happen. All right? So Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, I want you to notice the pronouns. Verse 17 again, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions uh, and your old men shall dream dreams. So this is the Hebrews. But then look at what it says. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Do you know what's going to happen? According to Revelation chapter 7, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish witnesses. And they're going to go and preach the gospel around the world. And the Bible says countless people are going to get saved. Isn't that wonderful? Look at... Uh, Look at Revelation chapter... Let's go ahead and look at Revelation chapter 7. Look at verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude... Which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped saying, Amen. Blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came thee? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb." "...therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more." Remember, all the green grass, the food, it's all been destroyed on earth. "...they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters." And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There's going to be an amazing revival that takes place. When? In those days. In those days. What happens in those days? In those days, God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And men and women and slaves and free and, and everyone, they're going to be prophesying for the Lord. And, for, and the result of their prophesying for the Lord is people are going to get saved, but they are going to be killed. That's what's going to happen. And Peter is announcing that. Go back to Acts chapter 2. And it shall come come to pass in the last days. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Verse 19. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and... What's that next word? Notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, remember what we just read. Go back to Joel chapter 2. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants... And upon the handmaids, do you notice the difference? Here it's the servants, the handmaids. In Peter's sermon, it's my servants and my handmaids. I will pour out my, will I pour out my spirit? Or verse 29. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, will I pour out my spirit? Now remember where that's going to happen in the tribulation. We just saw that in Revelation chapter 7, when this is going to happen. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire, and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Look at what it says. Before the great and the notable day of the Lord come. What does it say? See, here's the difference. For Israel, for the people on earth during the tribulation, it's going to be a great and terrible day. For those of us who are saved, it's notable. It's different. We're gone. Isn't that a blessing? Let's read on in, in Joel 2. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Delivered. Not going to take the time to turn there, but we've looked at it many times. Zechariah chapter 13. The Bible says, in Zechariah 13, I think it's verse 9. It says, and I will bring two-thirds through the fire, talking about Israel, and they shall be cut off. But a third shall be kept alive. And then it says, They shall call upon my name, and I will call them my people. Who is that? That's the remnant of Israel that is prophesied in the book of Joel. And what happens? They're delivered. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, And whosoever endures to the end shall be saved. What does that mean? They'll be alive. They'll be alive. And then the judgment of the nations comes. And if their their nation has supported Israel, they'll go into the kingdom. If their nation has not supported Israel, then they'll go into outer darkness and judgment. But they'll be saved alive. What's going to happen to Israel? Go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now the Bible gives us the exact number of days of the tribulation. So there can't be fewer days, but look at Revelation chapter 9. uh, Revelation chapter 8 and verse 12. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So what happens? Jesus says in Matthew 24 that for the elect's sake, that's Israel. Israel is the elect. For the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. If the days weren't shortened, then no flesh should be saved. None of the elect would be saved. So he shortens the days by a third so that one-third of Israel can be delivered. Romans chapter 11. Look at Romans chapter 11. Verse 25, Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so, look at what it says, All Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. All Israel will be saved by their deliverer. Joel chapter 2. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. We have to look at it. Zechariah chapter 13. Second into the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 13. Verse eight. Zechariah chapter thirteen, verse eight. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein, and I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. Verse Chapter 14, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and the west. Everything that Joel says is fulfilled throughout the rest of Scripture. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. They shall call on my name. The remnant will come through. Two-thirds come through and they're cut off. One-third survives. He shortens the days by a third so that one-third will be left alive. If he doesn't shorten the days, but for the elect's sake, he shortens those days. What are those days? Those are the days of the tribulation. When is this spirit going to be poured out in this way on all flesh? During the tribulation. That is going to happen. What what happened at Pentecost? What happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came and for the rest of this age will never leave. And every individual in the world now has access to the Holy Spirit. He's not going to come and leave. The Holy Spirit, which is in you, or which is with you and will be in you, now the Holy Spirit is in us and can be everywhere. So that when we preach the gospel to people, the Holy Spirit is drawing those people to the Father. He's drawing them. he's, He's convincing the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You don't have to be under the power of Satan. You can be under the power of God. You can be under the power of the Holy Spirit. Just repent and believe and you'll be saved. See, that's why the message is different now. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm out of time. Let me do this. When are these things going to be fulfilled? Go back to Acts. Get Acts chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 6. Acts 2 and Revelation 6. I hate the clock sometimes, folks. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So this began, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that's what is spoken of in Joel. That happened. But the fulfillment of it has not happened yet. It shall come to pass in the last days, verse 17 saith God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Verse 19, And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. Now, look with me at Revelation chapter 6. When are these things going to be fulfilled? Well, what about the blood? In Revelation 6 and verse 8, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the field. So we have blood being killed with the sword. Revelation chapter 8, more blood. Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. And the first angel sounded, and there followed Hail hail and fire mingled with blood. Look at verse 9. And the third, or verse 8, And the second angel sounded, and there was a great mountain burning with fire, was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood. Now notice, it's not as blood. It's turned into blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships was destroyed. Look at chapter 9. In verse 15, and the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. Look at chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 20. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. That is a lot of blood. Chapter 16 and verse 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Everything is destroyed. Blood. So when people act like all of that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, they're being silly. It is yet future. What about the fire? Revelation chapter 8. And verse 5. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Look at uh, verse 7. And the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. Look at verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning, as it were, a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many died uh, of the waters because they were made bitter. What about smoke? Chapter 9 and verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now don't don't miss this. In the past there have been uh, volcanoes that sent so much ash into the into the atmosphere that it destroyed the population of the world by a huge extent. God's just going to do it in a much greater way here. And this fire is not coming from a volcano. It's coming from the pit. Look at uh, Revelation 9 and verse 17. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. And by these three was the third part of men killed by fire. And by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouth. Chapter 18 and verse 9. These are not pictures. This is what's coming. Chapter 18 and verse 9. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. What about the sun, moon, and stars? Go back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29. This is Jesus Christ, Mount of Olives. Verse 29. Immediately. Man, this is what's coming. This is the message that Peter was preaching. I'm so thankful that now the Bible says, for us, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What are you saved from? Eternal death, eternal punishment in hell. That's what you're saved from. In the tribulation period, their nation is delivered. That's what's being spoken of in Joel. What Peter is preaching about is what's going to happen in Israel And what can happen to the individual that turns to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? I hope that you have. If you have not, repent. Repent. His mercy is great. And the only thing you can do, there are no good works that you can offer him. All you can do is fall before him and say, Lord, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and that you are God. I don't deserve salvation. Have mercy on me. Through your grace, Please give me that gift of salvation and eternal life. Lord God, I only deserve punishment. Please give me mercy. That's what salvation is. Do it today while there's time. James Knox texted me this morning and said, um, oh, I don't have my phone right here, but he said something like, I might have it right here. I want you to hear it. I don't. But he said something like, and on another note, the rapture may happen today. And in a time which you think not, the Son of Man cometh. See, now is that time where the Holy Spirit has come. And through us, the message of the gospel is preached. But that time's not promised for tomorrow. Amen. You either need to be saved Or you need to take the Word of God and speak it to other people. Amen? Why? That's what the Holy Spirit gave us to do. Let's all stand together. We'll be dismissed.